may the Holy Spirit in only the way that He can somehow transport us back 2,000 years to this very day to the streets of Jerusalem. Reading from Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the prophet was saying. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the crowds that were sh- uh, followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Further down in chapter 21, we read, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and, and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first. And they did the same to them. 
Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowd because they held him to be a prophet. Friends, we are easy to fool. We are easy to fool. Yesterday was April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day has been celebrated for several centuries. Its exact origin is, is not quite known. However, we've learned from experience, many of us, on April 1st, be a little bit... Wow, April Fool's? On April 1st, be a little bit more careful. On April 1st, be a little bit more careful because there are people who are trying to fool you. You know, and some, in fact, have gone to great lengths to create some elaborate hoaxes on April Fool's. Back in 1957, the BBC reported that Swiss farmers were experiencing a record spaghetti crop. And they showed footage of people harvesting noodles from trees. And many contacted the BBC to ask how they could propagate their own spaghetti tree. And the corporation is said to have played along by saying, place a sprig of spaghetti into a jar of tomato sauce and hope for the best. Back in 1996, the fast food restaurant chain Taco Bell took out a full-page ad in seven major newspapers announcing that in order to reduce the country's debt, they'd agreed to purchase Philadelphia's Liberty Bell and intended to rename it the Taco Liberty Bell. The hoax generated thousands of angry phone calls and over $25 million in free publicity for Taco Bell. And then in 1998, Burger King took out a full-page ad in USA Today advertising the introduction of the left-handed Whopper. According to the advertisement, the new Whopper included all the same ingredients as the original Whopper, but the condiments were rotated 180 degrees for the benefit of the left-handed customers. And thousands of customers flocked to local restaurants requesting the fake sandwich. Friends, we are easy to fool. But God is not. God is not so easily fooled. And Jesus is angry in today's story because there was a lot of fooling and very little fruit. A lot of fooling and very little fruit. Because appearances 
can be deceiving. The, the temple and those who frequented the temple, they promised something that was not being delivered. They were all leaves and no fruit, all expectation and no satisfaction. And as such, in today's account, we find two fig trees cursed and withering. Now, this event begins in the chap- this chapter. It's, currently, it's commonly referred to as the triumphal entry. It's one of the few events we actually have recorded for us in all four of the Gospels. And we find that the Jews of Jesus' day, they longed for a Messiah. They wanted someone who was going to deliver them from the Roman rule, the Roman oppression under which they were. Since 63 B.C., when Roman general Pompey had conquered Israel, the Jews had been oppressed by the Romans. The Romans forced the Israelites to do things that any devout Jew would not do. They were forced to eat pork, to pay tribute and worship Caesar, and they forbade circumcision. In short, the Romans were trying to outlaw or seduce the Jews out of their Judaism. And moreover, the Romans, they violently subdued any possible rebellion. As of the Passover feast that we read about in the Gospels, with Jesus riding into town, as of that point, there had been 32 political riots in the past five years. I mean, imagine 32 riots in Washington, D.C. in a mere five years. Jesus rides into a political powder keg. He rides into Jerusalem to a people who are anxiously awaiting the Messiah. And we read that Jesus has made arrangements ahead of time for his entry into Jerusalem. He's purposefully made arrangements so to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which Matthew notes for us in verses 4 and 5. As he enters into Jerusalem, riding on this colt, in a royal procession. And as he does, the Hallel is being chanted and sung amongst the people. The Hallel are Psalms 113 through 118. They were part of the Jewish religious liturgy, expressions of thanksgiving and joy for God's saving and redeeming actions. And many of them consider the crowning jewel of them, the one that most pointed to the hope of a coming Messiah who was going to deliver the people, was found in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, which we sang this morning, Hosanna, save us. We pray, O Lord. Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Hosanna is simply the Latinized transliteration of the Hebrew word Hoshiana, which means please save or save us. So when you say Hosanna, you're saying save us. It's a prayer. Save us. Save us. You are the God who saves us, worthy of our praises. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord became a popular greeting of the pilgrims as they made their way into Jerusalem, but it also was considered to have a final and perfect fulfillment in the Blessed One who was going to come in the name of the Lord, the Anointed One, the Messiah, who eventually would deliver His people. So, what we traditionally call today Palm Sunday, it says that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which again was a royal parable. The people were declaring Psalm 118 and the other Hallel Psalms, longing after a Messiah. And then we find they also waved palm branches, which you saw some of the kids during the opening song, coming up and down the aisle, waving palm branches. Since the Maccabean revolt, which happened 175 years before this day, 
the palm branch had become the national banner or flag of Israel. There was a series of raids and military campaigns and a man by the name of Judas Maccabee led an army of rebels against Antiochus Epiphanes in the Syrian dynasty. And after that victory, the Maccabees entered Jerusalem waving palm branches in celebration that they'd driven out the oppressor. And then Judas Maccabee caused palm branches to be stamped on all of the coins that were used in the temple trade. And so again, the palm branch came to be seen as a symbol of Israel and would call to memory the great deliverance that Israel once had at the hand of the Maccabees from a government that was oppressing them. And here they are oppressed by another government, by another power, longing to be delivered in rides, in rides Jesus to Jerusalem on a donkey, declaring the Hallel Psalms, waving palm branches. They're longing to be free of Rome's tyranny. And here comes Jesus. And there's a problem. Because Jesus took a wrong turn. When he rode into town, he didn't ride to the Roman barracks and start to cause trouble. He rode to the temple and started to cause trouble. Now, as I mentioned, these events are recorded for us in all four Gospels. And in fact, if you read the Gospel of Mark's account in Mark chapter 11 alongside Matthew, you're immediately going to notice that there is a difference or an apparent difference in these two accounts. In technical terms, what Matthew gave us and what Steve just read for us is a compression of the account. In other words, our friend Matthew gave us the short story. Mark gives us the long story. He, he lays out the full chronology of Jesus entering Jerusalem, coming to the temple, seeing the fig tree. So according to Mark chapter 11, just so you understand, chronologically, this is how the day, how it unfolded. Day one, the triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem. Matthew tells us he goes and he inspects the temple. He looks around but doesn't do anything. And then he leaves for the night and spends the night in Bethany outside of Jerusalem. Day two, on his way back into Jerusalem, Jesus sees and inspects a fig tree, finds there's no fruit, declares a curse on it, and goes his way. He goes into Jerusalem, to the temple. That's where he starts flipping tables. And afterwards, he leaves Jerusalem, goes back to Bethany, and spends the night again in Bethany. And then, day three, on his way back to Jerusalem, Jesus' disciples see the cursed fig tree. And it's miraculously withered. It's dead. And then Jesus and his disciples talk about it. Then he goes into Jerusalem, enters the temple, and immediately the religious leaders, they start to discuss with Jesus his authority to overturn tables in the temple. So as you can see, Matthew, in what Steve read for us, just gives us the compression of the account, the short event. Yeah, I mean, Matthew's like, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He's not concerned to give us the whole chronology. He reports accurately, but not chronologically. And friends, I'm telling you this for two reasons. Number one, because you're going to hear people look at this and go, look, look, two different accounts. These people didn't agree. They, they just made it all up and they screwed it up too. A lot of people will point to apparent discrepancies in the gospel and go, look, because they're all just made up. They're fake. They don't even know what they're doing. Friends, 
Difference doesn't mean discrepancy. Just because Matthew's not concerned with giving us the whole story doesn't mean that he gave us an untrue story. There's nothing in Matthew's account that contradicts or conflicts with what Mark tells us. So, friends, again, when you see them, there's a way to explain apparent contradictions. And secondly, I make this point because I want you to see that when we look at the full chronology of what happened, the fig tree is set up as a parallel account to the temple. The fig tree is set up as a parallel account to the temple. Jesus walked into Jerusalem, inspected the temple. Jesus, walking along the path, stops and inspects the fig tree. Jesus, we hear, cursed the fig tree. Jesus goes in and He overturns the tables in the temple. Jesus discusses with His disciples His authority to curse the fig tree. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and discusses with the religious leaders His authority to overturn tables in the temple. Friends, the fig tree is given as a living parable to make a point about the temple. In fact, if you look in your Bible, if you're using a paper Bible or even on the electronic app, most Bibles have headings in them. And if you look above verse 12 in Matthew, it says something like, Jesus cleanses the temple. You know, and if your Bible says that, friends, I give you permission. You can grab a pen or pencil and cross that out. You see, the headings were put in there by the translators. They are not divinely inspired. Unlike the original text, which is fully and divinely inspired. But the headings are not. And this particular heading is downright misleading. Because, friends, if Jesus went into Jerusalem and started flipping tables because He wanted to cleanse the temple, then that gives you an assumption. He was cleaning it up because He wanted it to work properly. And so He had to clean it up. But, friends, I don't think Jesus' intention was to cleanse the temple and make it work properly. Any more than His intention towards the fig tree was to make it fruitful. To explain what he was doing, Jesus quotes the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 56, verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. You see, what was the intention of the temple? The temple was supposed to be a light of the nations, a house of prayer for all nations where people could come and worship, a means of connection and relationship with God and all people. But instead of being a place where men and women might come and truly confess and begin fellowship with God, the temple became a place where people believed they could fool God and escape judgment. Rather than being a place that brought people to God, it became a place where people started trying to hide themselves from God and fool God. Jesus references the words of the prophet Jeremiah when he says, Den of robbers. Den of robbers. The the full context of the Lord's words through Jeremiah from Jeremiah chapter 7, he, he asked the people, Will you steal? Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? 
Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So friends, people were living however they wanted, and then they thought they could just come into the temple, perform a couple of sacrifices, fool God into thinking that they were repentant and sorry for what they had done, and then they could go back out on Monday and do the same thing. The temple had become a den of robbers. Friends, what do robbers do when they're hiding in their den? They're finding security and comfort and solace. They're hiding from the consequences of what they've done. And in the same way, the temple and its sacrifices had become a place where people thought that they could run and find solace without repentance. They thought they could sacrifice a couple of animals to somehow cover over their unrepentant sins so that they could unabashedly return the next day and do all the same things they'd been doing. But friends, we are easily fooled. God is not fooled. They were being fooled into thinking this was true forgiveness. Friends, these people were knowingly and willingly trying to fool the Lord. The Lord tolerates no fools and no fooling. The temple should have been leading people to produce the fruit of repentance. But instead, the temple was green and leafy and barren of any fruit. And so it was cursed, just like Jesus cursed the fig tree. By overturning the tables, Jesus wasn't trying to cleanse the temple. He was cursing the temple. Jesus' intention was not to cleanse it. Like the fig tree, Jesus was declaring, this temple is going to be withered up at its root so that it stops fooling people and people stop being fooled into thinking that they don't have to repent. They can just offer a few sacrifices and continue living however they please. Both the tree and the temple were all leaves, no fruit. All expectation, no satisfaction. And both were destined to wither and pass away. Because, friends, true repentance produces fruit. True repentance produces fruit. That's what we've heard from the very beginning. We're studying through Matthew's Gospel, and we're just taking a break here, moving later on in Matthew's Gospel for the Easter season. But friends, we just heard at the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist came along and his message was repent. Turn around, repent, and in Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because, friends, repentance bears fruit. Forgiveness bears the fruit of repentance. Jesus' earliest followers all declared the same thing. Paul, when he was speaking before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he declares in verse 20, But I declared first to those in Damascus, then Jerusalem, throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, what? That they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Friends, true repentance produces change. True repentance produces deeds. True repentance produces the fruit of repentance. They aren't just sorry for their sin, only to willfully return to it. It's to turn away from your sin. True repentance doesn't try to fool God. True repentance produces fruit. True repentance is the fruit of a life transformed. Friends, the purpose of a fig tree? The purpose of a fig tree is not just to be green and leafy. 
The purpose of a fig tree is to produce fruit. And in the same way, the purpose of the temple was not to be bustling and lively. And the purpose of the temple was not to fool God so you can go on living however you want. The purpose of the temple was to lead the people to produce the fruit of repentance. A changed, transformed life. A changed, transformed people. However, instead of encouraging the fruit of repentance, the temple had become a den of robbers where people were going to feel better about themselves without actually becoming better. People were trying to fool God into believing that their hearts were changed. Instead of being a house of prayer for the nations where all people could come to the Lord in repentance and be connected to Him, it became a place where people were being disconnected by God because they were hiding, trying to fool Him. A place where they tried to swindle rather than to seek the Lord. The fig tree and the temple both had nothing to offer, and so both were cursed to wither and never produce fruit again. Friends, the, temp- the, the temple was to wither because it was about to be replaced. I mean, that's the point. That's why I had Steve read for us the parable. This parable comes a little bit later on in the chapter. And the parable was one that Jesus told to the religious leaders. And when he told that to them, you heard Steve read for us in verse 45. It says they knew that he was talking about them. And the punchline of the parable was in verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Jesus says to the religious leaders, I've given you time to produce fruit. You've been tending the vineyard and there's no fruit. Like the fig tree, your appearance is deceptive. But all you're doing is fooling people. You're only robbers with no repentance. You're green and leafy, but you're not fruitful. So the time has come. I'm going to wither the tree and I'm going to create a people who produce the fruit of repentance. I'm going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to others who won't play me for a fool, but who will be faithful and fruitful. Others who will not help others hide in unrighteousness, but in repentance will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Others who will not exclude the nations, but others who will go to the nations. Jesus says the temple and its sacrifices must wither and end because I'm riding into Jerusalem to do something new. Friends, as we sang today in that beautiful new song that I, I just love, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to die so that He might establish a new and a better covenant, a new relationship with God, establishing a people who produce the fruit of repentance. And this coming Thursday night on Monday Thursday, we're going to celebrate the very establishment of the meal that we're about to come to the table to celebrate. We're going to hear on Thursday night Jesus' words from Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28. And Jesus took a cup and made given thanks. He gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday. He rode in there to die. To shed His blood for our sins. To establish a new covenant. And friends, under the new covenant, we need not try to fool God because we've been perfectly forgiven by God. The Lord desires to make us not robbers, but make us repentant. He desires that our lives might produce 
consistently the fruit of repentance. Jesus comes to establish the new covenant, and in doing so, the old covenant withers and passes. The author of Hebrews writes of the new covenant that Christ has come to establish in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. He says, in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what's becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The fig tree withers. It's fruitless. The old covenant is becoming obsolete and vanishing because Jesus has come to establish a new and a better covenant, a new relationship that will produce fruitful and repentant people. And church, that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate the gospel, the good news that leads us to repentance, that leads us to change, that leads us to transformation. The gospel that doesn't affirm us in our sins, but frees us from them. He didn't come so that we could try to fool God. He came so that we could be forgiven. And the parable says that the kingdom of God is being given to those people who produce its fruit. The fruit of those who have been are being transformed. The fruit of those who confess and are forgiven. The fruit of those who repent and produce fruit. Friends, it's made possible by the new covenant, which Jesus established. And the new covenant, which we're about to come celebrate here at the table. Jesus rode into town that day not to overthrow the Romans, but to overthrow the temple. Because, friends, the greatest threat, the greatest threat his people faced was not fear of the Romans. It was being fooled by empty religion. And, friends, that's still our greatest threat today. It's not any force or power outside. It's being fooled by empty religion. Thinking that we can somehow fool God. Friends, don't be fooled. God can't be. Instead, hear the invitation to repent and to come to Jesus. The author of Hebrews, who spoke of the withering and the passing away of the old covenant, also writes now of the hope that we have in Jesus in Hebrews 6, 8, 8, 6. But it is, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. Friends, we have a better covenant. Because this covenant that Jesus has enacted is not based upon what we have done or what we can do. It's based upon what Christ has done for us. A covenant established not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a covenant not for people who fool God, but a covenant for people who want to be fruitful for God. Not for robbers, but for the repentant. So, friends, hear the invitation to repent and to come. Come to Jesus today that He might forgive and make you fruitful. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near now. Let us draw near to this table with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, we draw near to the table to celebrate today, to celebrate the new covenant, the shedding of Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins, the fruit of repentance. 
Friends, is your religion simply trying to fool God? Or do you come today in repentance, asking God to make you fruitful? Let's pray. Father, lead us to repentance. Lead us to You. Produce in us the fruit of changed lives because, Lord, the lives we've been living, it's not working. Father, the sin, it destroys. It binds. It kills. So set us free. Free us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Transform us as you produce the fruit of repentance within us. Set us free and may we live new because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for this new covenant. In your name we pray. Amen. If the elders